thank you, Pastor Angela, for doing this weird thing. I, 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 when I presented to her that this is something we do on occasion here at Prince of Peace, I said, please feel free to say no. It's super weird, and, and I know it's unusual. You know, here she is. She was happy to jump in, so we're thrilled for that, and also just thrilled to have you be a part of things this summer. Uh, it's such a blessing and a privilege for us. Um, so I'll begin, as I often do on these uh, Ask the Pastor days, by simply reading the gospel um, that is uh, assigned to this day by the lectionary. And I'll say, I read this gospel earlier in the week, I, I, uh, and it's a gospel reading, a passage that when I read it at the first time through, I, I find myself thinking, wondering, you know, what, what in the world is Jesus getting at in much of it? I mean, I just don't even know what he's talking about. Then when I, I slowed down and I went through it again this morning, just uh, maybe an hour ago, and, I, and some things began to occur to me, at least ways that I can connect to this, this gospel. So I'll just share a couple of those notes uh, for you as we're reading through it, just a few of them, uh, as a way to encourage you uh, to read scripture. I never like to start with commentaries when I'm looking at a passage, especially if I'm preparing to preach. I just want to know what do I think about it when, when I read it? What, what connects with me and my life and the way I see the world? So this is from the 11th chapter of, uh, of Matthew. But to what, this is Jesus speaking, but to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. Now, first time I read that, I'm like, what? Uh, but second time, this morning, I thought, huh, I think maybe part of what I hear here is a, a kind of loss of community. Huh? These, these children were playing their instruments and nobody danced with them. And then they, they, were, they were sad, they were mourning, they were crying, and nobody mourned with them. And I thought, how our current culture is mourning the loss of community, of coming together, of being together. In so many ways, we are driven into these silos uh, away from one another. Um, that occurred to me this morning. Um, Jesus continues, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Jesus is, to me, pointing out, among other things, that we are often more concerned with appearances than with realities. Hmm. Uh, we, will, we will judge Jesus by who it is that he breaks bread with, by who he hangs with, by what, you know, what we, uh, how his behavior comports with our ideas of piety and religious uh, tradition and so forth. This, this guy eats with sinners and welcomes them. And, and it was one of the, the, the accusations that finally stuck against Jesus, and he just goes ahead and shares it, puts it back out there. He's not trying to run or hide from it. He's trying to make people see it. Um, at that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. You've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a comforting passage, um, often referred to uh, the, one of the, the, the primary church in Tanzania that several of you have been to worship at, Nkwesho um, uh, Lutheran Parish up on the lower slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro with me, one of our long partners in ministry um, above the front door of the church i've shared before it says kushiani it's local uh, tribal word that refers really to the welcome that jesus offers in this verse come to me my burden is light and uh, for years uh, people who visited uh, and worshiped there with me from from here in the states uh, would refer to it, oh, I loved worshiping there at Kushiani Lutheran Church because it says Kushiani above the, above the door, but uh, that's just in reference to this verse and this welcome from Jesus. And uh, it was never the, the name of the church, and so when I, even I did it early on, and so when I would greet the congregation prior to leading worship and preaching there, I would you know, say thank you to Kushiani Lutheran Church and and they would snicker because they, in their uh, humility and graciousness, wouldn't correct me that Kushiani is not, in fact, the name of the church. Uh, it is a reference to a verse, but it is uh, an interesting thing that this is the one that they chose to put on the front of the church that they built with their own hands, carrying stones from the riverbed lower on the mountain that my yoke is easy and my burden is light when their lives are so particularly difficult and so hard, and yet they stay so connected to this, this gospel and this good news that Jesus shares with them. So the gospel is rich, and every time we walk through it, I think we can, each of us, find some way that it connects with us in our lives and the way we, we see the world. Maybe in that reading something occurs to you a question or just something you'd like to share uh, be welcome to do that uh, mike has uh, the mic um, so uh, he'll bring it to you if you if you have a, a question it could be related to any church related thing any bible passage we have pastor angela with us who's done great work uh, she's an author she's a reporter and so uh, um, she's written on the topic of uh, white Christian nationalism. If, if uh, um, you know, obviously it's a, a deep, <laughs> uh, layered uh, topic to, to enter into. But if you have questions specifically for her, um, that'd be wonderful. But uh, yeah, Jake, go ahead. Uh, you're going to love this one. Uh, what do I do with my theology with Aliens and UFOs. And is there any mention in Scripture with that? Wow. 
Well, I'm glad you're with us, Angela. Um, <laughs> I just read a post this, uh, or a little item this morning uh, related to that, but do um, you have any opinion on UFOs? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no. I was thinking about my, my dad, though, because sometimes when he can't sleep at night, he listens to, like, the science fiction UFO radio station or something, and... He is a very, you know, like down to earth kind of person, grew up Catholic, doesn't believe in a lot of wild things, but I think he believes in UFOs. <laughs> so I think the only portion of scripture that I would say relates to it is just the sense that there are things beyond our comprehension. So there's a big universe out there. My husband and I were sitting, we finally got a deck after six years living at our house and doing all these repairs. It's still not quite done, but we finally sat out there last night. We we're looking at the sky and seeing all the stars. And it's both that sense of the preciousness of what we have here and what we can do. And also my husband last week, um, one of their company's clients for his engineering firm is SpaceX. So he was down at the SpaceX facility um, in Texas, and they're talking about rockets and all these things shooting off. And um, I think there's that reminder of that perspective that we cannot know everything. So I'm comfortable with that as a Lutheran. <laughs> we like to live in that space of not knowing. And I think it reminds us of the sovereignty of God. So... I don't have anything more than that. Yeah, same. I just, uh, I, I can't, I've thought about this a little bit, just like what, what would I have to wrestle with in my own sort of theological perspective if, if, it, if, if it turned out that there were some, um, you know, intelligent life out there. Um, and uh, I, I don't know that it would be any real problem. It would, to me, it would be just part of the God's creation of the cosmos. And oh, look at that! Um, there, you know, frankly, um, there are uh, other peoples on this planet that are so that live such different lives than we do, um, so radically different that they may as well be from some other planet. in, in, in terms of you know how different we are from one another. And so there's, um, when I encounter, when I'm blessed to encounter these people, I'm fascinated and I want to learn about, you know, what they think and what they believe. And, um, but I think there's room for all of it, whether they happen to be um, an, an indigenous uh, uh, tribe in, in the wild, like the Hadzabi Bushmen that we've visited in, they speak in that kind of ancient click language and they just lay down on the ground when they get covered, uh, tired. They don't even bother to build little huts or anything and they hunt during the day and, and, uh, and uh, extraterrestrial beings. I mean, I think there, there's room for all of it within my kind of understanding of God as the creator of all that is. And, and, and I'm open to all kinds of mystery uh, Personally, I don't, I don't think so, but that's just me. I'm skeptical, and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there seems to be a growing consensus that maybe there's, you know, 
it's not so crazy to believe such a thing anymore. And some who would argue that you're a little bit behind the curve if you're not believing it. That's a fun one, yeah. Other questions? Yeah, behind you, Mike. Hi, this so much, I don't know if it's a question or just um, some needing help with, how do you respond to people who, um, what I call, hide behind their religion to promote things like white supremacy, attacks against women's health, all of that. And I've had many conversations with those people and I always get stuck because they keep saying, you know, this is what God wants. It says this in the Bible, we shouldn't do this. You know, abortion is murder, um, all these things. And I, I just get angry, but I just would like some perspective and some more help on um, maybe more appropriate ways than anger <laughs> um, it, to be able to respond to some of these comments that I hear all the time. I'm pretty sure Pastor Angela planted that question out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, kind of right in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I want to commend you for asking it and also for wanting to continue to engage in the conversation and to find a way to respond. It's really easy to just go silent. Um, it's really easy to kind of like go in your shell and then you go home later and think, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. But in the moment, it feels very intimidating, especially when people are so certain and so confident um, and actually brings me back to our text for this morning because I think the goal of those who were saying, well, John didn't eat and he did this, this wrong and Jesus came and ate and they, they mocked him and shamed him as well. Um, the goal of that is shame. So a lot of those comments that you're talking about are an attempt to shame you, to shame you for your faith, to shame you for your understanding of God. Um, and this God of certainty, this God of violence or of power that we see lifted up in the name of Jesus, the name of Christianity, um, our Lutheran faith tradition has a really powerful theological witness against that God of certainty, and that is the theology of the cross. And so when we look back at the story of Jesus, and even the story of the prophets, the story of the Apostle Paul, the story of Christians who've come before us, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., people you know, um, the theology of the cross reminds us that when we are following Jesus very closely, that the end result and the things we experience are not as many American Christians believe, you know, the closer you follow Jesus, the more success you should have, the more power you should have. The closer we follow to Jesus, the more our government should be Christian. Um, but the theology of the cross shows us that the result of following Jesus closely is often the opposite. That like Jesus, we may be abandoned, we may be injured, we may be poor, we may be scorned, we may be shamed. Um, and so when you are in that position, know that you are close with Jesus and also that that witness is a rebuke to those who would claim the certainty of God. 
um, to those who would claim that there's no gray area in some of these moral questions. Um, I've written on the topic of abortion. I've wrestled with it myself. I have a chapter on it in my book, and I've since even shifted from that. Um, but I think that's a great witness and example of this black and white sense of what it means to be quote-unquote pro-life. And then in the same sense, particularly those of us who have carried children, who have been through childbirth or miscarriage, we know the gray areas of what that is really like and how fraught life really is. Those of you who are teachers, those of you who care for children, those of you who care for those in the criminal justice system, those of you who have witnessed people who have perhaps been sentenced to death. Um, there's such a broader witness in the Bible, too. I think there's another, another response, too, is to not let people so easily claim that they know exactly what the Bible says. Because we know sometimes the Bible can contradict itself. And so what Martin Luther said is that we need to interpret the Bible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as, as Lutherans, we also get to apply the theology of the cross, which is so closely tied to that life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so hopefully that's some help. The final thing I'll say, too, um, that I was convicted of over throughout the course of COVID, you know, kind of that triple whammy of covid George Floyd's murder, and then um, January 6th. These were all bing, bang, boom, things that all kind of associated with the church and Christianity as well. Um, I think it's also really important to use that gift of discernment when you're in these conversations or relationships to know when is God calling me to engage further and deeper, and when is God calling me to, as in, I think it's Luke 10, Jesus sends out the disciples. But he says, if you're not welcomed, then you shake that dust from your feet. And there are times when God is also calling you to disengage, to save that energy and that empathy for the conversations where people are willing to engage and willing. Um, and not, so, you know, don't, don't spend it on social media. <laughs> um, spend it, you know, in conversations that are mutually listening. Um, and in the meantime, build that trust, build those relationships to find, you know, the right time. It's almost like when somebody's, you know, going through an addiction almost. You can't ever force somebody to be done with what they're doing. But when somebody's ready, you want to be that person who's ready to talk and to have the conversation. Yeah, that's great. I love what Angela was saying about certainty and the... Um, this sort of written into the DNA of, of Lutheran theology is this, this um, a, you know, capability, if not inclination, to be able to sort of exist in some of the gray areas and be open to other perspectives. One of the things I love about O Come Thou Font that I shared as my favorite hymn is the, is the openness to that you know, Lord, I'm prone to wander, you know, this, it's not a song that's filled with certainty, it's a, it's a aspirational song, you know, it's at the same time, I'm grateful for this 
faith, uh, but also aware of the shortcomings. Um, and, and I just love that. Uh, so I really think that this, this part of the, this deep discussion and, and tension and friction point in the, in the American church and elsewhere, um, I think it's a good window into it to think about certainty versus kind of openness um, to the other. You know, I think it does relate to my little riff on other tribes and other peoples and how different they can be from us. And I'm never there trying to convert them. Um, I'm always there trying to figure out what do you people believe? What do you think? How do you see the world? You fascinate me. I'm drawn to you because of our differences in the way you live. And, and, and it has been the blessing of my experience and those of you who have been able to go with me on, on some of these trips that we are received and welcomed um, in the same spirit of openness and joy and, and, and a celebration of our differences. We seem to have lost much of that capacity, uh, certainly in this country, also in the church. Um, and I, I'm not quite sure I see the way forward. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a really wonderful question for each of us to wrestle with. I just want to quick add like two minutes yeah, to go, what you please. just said. Mm. Um, when we're talking about the other, I think if we look, what's something that I've really had to grow in my faith on is that if you look at the Bible historically, um, I think it's really easy, you know, because America is a superpower and white people, white Christians have held most of the power in America, it's really easy to put ourselves at the center of the Bible and think about others as the other. Um, but if you look at the Bible, what I realized is as a European American, I am the other in the Bible. I'm not in the Bible at all. <laughs> I am the other. I was the one who had to be invited in by Jesus. Because Jesus came to the Jewish people. Jesus came to what is today the Middle East. Uh, I was, I'm the other. Um, and so I think that Jesus calls us, you know, I grew up um, nearby here, and I, I think I learned in the Lutheran church that we're supposed to welcome the other. But I didn't often remember that Jesus was also calling me to, to know that I am the other. To put myself, you know, in that solidarity of place of the one who's been rejected, the one who's been put out, that I'm not only called to like be the helper or be the powerful one. I am called to be the one who needs help. So, sorry. Don't be sorry. No, thank you. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Can hear the wheels turning. I'll, I'll go ahead and ask one. I, I've asked this in some capacity before, but not to Angela, and Chad's had some time uh, maybe to think about it since then, but if the tables were turned right now and God came down and hosted an Ask a Deity Sunday, what would be the one burning question that you would ask him that you would really like to know? And it doesn't have to be, you know, 
deeply thought provoking, just something that you've really wanted to know. And I mean, you could ask about, you know, who killed JFK, but maybe <laughs> keep it more towards today's topic. I don't know. I might ask him, why me? Yeah, and I'm sure my answer probably, I imagine many of you are thinking similar lines. Um, my uh, brother-in-law died of COVID at 42, and he really suffered. And um, there is no answer why. You know, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus suffer? And so we could have a long conversation about theodicy, but I think that God and I, God could give me some comfort. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Europe, France, they're arguing over retirement age. Germany, they're protesting. What about Ukraine? How do these people think about Ukraine and what they're going through? And the more we see on TV, it seems like get numb to it. And it isn't a big thing. Where they're flattening that country out. And those poor people are fighting for existence. And I think if I was a Ukrainian, I'd wonder, where's God? Yeah, I think that's related to Pastor Angela's previous response that, you know, where is God in all of this suffering and brokenness and warring? And from our perspective, if you, you say, well, you know, the upheaval in Europe related to two-year um, ratcheting up of the retirement age, um, how... How does that look from the perspective of, uh, you know, somebody who lived in a in a apartment block in Kiev that's been that's been turned into rubble, and there's no real um, end in sight, and and when when the whole world has literally come apart at the seams. Um, then what do I have to complain about, you know? Um, how do I put my own struggles in the context of, of those who are really um, destroyed and devastated? And those are, you know, those are difficult, difficult questions and difficult things to wrestle with, both from a faith perspective and a, from a human perspective. And, I think Ukraine um, is an opportunity to hold fast to our common humanity. And um, I want to recommend, I read a really, really beautiful piece in The Guardian. Uh, I think her name is Victoria Emelina. She is a 37-year-old writer, mother, who was recently killed in a Russian bombing of a restaurant. Uh, in Ukraine, I think in um, Lviv, Lviv, L-V-I-V. Um, but she writes about the hope that she had as a young woman growing up after the breakup of the USSR. 
and this hope that boundaries would be shattered and they would be brothers and sisters and siblings with the Russian people. Um, and the disappointment and disillusionment that followed that, and then what's left in its wake. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the 90s. There was a lot of hope for that sort of siblinghood around the world. And then we have seen the persistence of fighting that often happens closest to home, right? The Ukrainians and Russians were siblings and sometimes family members, and yet the enmity and hatred and violence is so strong. Um, we know about that. You know the Lutheran Church. We talk about this theological openness, and yet we have denominations that are all Lutheran in name, and there's great enmity and hatred <laughs> even between those Lutheran denominations. Um, the other thing I think about, you know, there has been in many ways an outpouring of support, generosity, financial generosity, military generosity from the West largely to Ukraine. Um, and there is, uh, there is some hesitancy on the part of nations in the global South to rally in the same way because there have been many similar cases of genocide and violence against people who are not in Europe and maybe don't get the same attention. Um, and so I think that's another thing to, to wrestle with. We cannot comprehend the scope of suffering and violence in the world, um, but we can see our common humanity and see that suffering is suffering. Um, What's happening in Ukraine is not meant to shame your own suffering and what you are going through. But if we can respond first with listening, we can respond first with seeing our common humanity, um, that's an opportunity to rebuild some of that hope for siblinghood across humankind. Great. Um, I want to just sneak in an opportunity for me to maybe ask Angela a question. Um, when she says, I grew up in the 90s, I am reminded I grew up earlier than that. Uh, <laughs> I still think of my, you know, 1996 snowmobile as, you know, not, not that old, but <laughs> it's kind of old. Um, and so uh, we represent really different generations in pastoral ministry in the church, and um, I'm closer to the twilight side of things than Pastor Angela. It's more uh, in just kind of getting started. <laughs> and, and so um, after 30-plus years in parish ministry from inner city Philadelphia to out in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and, and here, um, I just think about, I look back over that and think of where much of my energy was, was spent and where it was kind of required of me and what the issues were in the church culture and, and you know, from, from the worship wars to church growth movement yeah. and, and um, you know, all kinds of um, different things that required of me a kind of a different perspective and, and emphasis and so forth. And, 
And, and the seismic shift, this kind of glacial movement that's swept across the church that some of us 30 years ago were saying we saw it coming, this change, this kind of move away from real active engagement with local congregation, not just in the church, but in organizations in general, really. Um, and so um, for me, from my perspective, when I think about you, Angela, and, and your, your generation of leadership and, and Natalia and the whole cohort of, of friends that you all have, it gives me great hope uh, of what's coming next, but I, it also I, I couldn't even possibly guess what's coming next and how do you think about the future of the local church and what are some of the real priorities for you and as you, you know, look forward? I'd love to hear yeah. a bit of that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I think it, it shifted for me, too. Um, I grew up, my parents started going to Lord of Life Lutheran in Maple Grove when it met at a school. And so I kind of grew up with the church, and now it's this huge congregation. Um, but they're having their, their times, too, with declines in attendance or giving um, and when I first came into ministry, this was the time of the, you know, sort of booming mega churches. So I started seminary in 2009. Um, and I had had a lot of experience with uh, evangelical churches as well. And so we think of here, now I'm going to draw the blank. What's the big church out here? Um, oh, what's the mega church with, uh, well, there's Grace and then there's... Uh, Eagle Brook, thank Eagle you. Brook. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Eagle Brook. So a former colleague of mine, he and his wife are on staff there. Um, we worked together at a Lutheran church in Vegas. Um, but so I had these thoughts of, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be as big as we possibly can. We're supposed to have as many financial resources as we possibly can, of course, with the goal of giving back and spreading. But with this this capitalist corporate sort of engine mm -hmm. um, and I began my internship in Las Vegas and also my time in California when I was in Chicago we were you know real close to Willow Creek Bill Hybels church one of the founding churches of the church growth movement um, and I think we've really seen the downfalls of that you know, it created churches that were very politically powerful, associated both with Republican and Democratic presidents, um, churches and pastors who had a lot of fame and celebrity and money. Um, and I think it created a lot of churches that became like the Wizard of Oz. And when you pull back the curtain, all of a sudden you realize, oh, we built these massive houses that were empty inside and of course then we lived through covid and then that was the reality <laughs> um and so i think a lot of us it, in my generation i think we're all a little bit different on this when i went to luther seminary i went to seminary with people who were like if your church is big you know it's sinful <laughs> and i thought oh you're totally wrong <laughs> and i still don't think that's true but I do, I have come to question a lot of the prevailing wisdom 
that so many of us bought into in the late 80s, 90s, early 2000s, 2010s. Um, and we've seen how some of that culture wrought a lot of abuse, whether it was um, abuse on the part of pastors, financial abuse, even sexual abuse. Um, and in its wake, it's left a lot of people who are really hurt, whose voices weren't heard, who have been rejected by the church. I meet a lot of those people as like my kids' friends' parents. And what I do hear is there is, I don't hear a lot of outright people saying, I hate God. I don't hear a lot of animosity towards God. What I hear really is hurt and pain. Um, and also still this longing for a spiritual connection and a spiritual community. Um, and so I think a lot of what the media narrative misses when it talks about the shrinking church is it misses this individual desire of younger people to have community and connection and spirituality. Um, and so I think there's a real need and hunger for that but there's a lot of loss that goes along with it. And the local church, I think too, a lot of times in ELCA congregations, local churches and pastors, we tend to get way too down on ourselves and feel bad and feel like, oh, things used to be better and they're never gonna be the same again. Um, and so one of the things I do too when I talk to pastors is to say, you are making a big impact local churches are still places where things happen that nothing, nowhere else happen. You know, the coming together of people in communities, the, the, possible, the possibilities of interacting with different types of people still in the church, these things are happening. Um, the ministry that you're doing at people's bedsides when people are in need. So I think that there is a place for being proud, especially for you, Prince of Peace, be proud of the work that you're doing, of what this community is, of the pastors that you have here. I think there's a lot of room for pride and hope in the midst of acknowledging the loss and the pain. Thank you. I can ask Chad a question. Do we have time? Sure. <laughs> um, I've loved hearing from Natalia about like the evolving partnership and collegiality that you and Natalia have had as pastors. Um, so I'm curious as you look back on your time together in leadership, uh, what are you most proud of that you two have done together as pastors? Yeah, yeah um, it, you know, I've been here a little more than a decade now and Natalia was was here long before I arrived and um, actually I remember first meeting her over at um, what's it called Mad Jack's when we had a, a meet and greet prior to I think I had accepted the call or maybe it was just prior no I think it was maybe just prior to the actual uh, call happening and Anyway, so there was a bunch of Prince of Peace folks over there, and we all met and gathered, and I, and I had a conversation with Natalia. Of course, I, I knew she was on staff, and I'd gotten to know who the other staff people were and so forth. And, 
I could tell right away in that conversation that, um, and, and Pastor Natalia at the time was leading our youth ministries, and, and she'd been doing that for a while, and, and she was indicating to me in that conversation over at Mad Jack's that she was probably nearing the end of her youth ministry days, and it was maybe time for her to move on, uh, to which I remember saying to her, please just wait. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. Lots can happen. Uh, the Spirit moves. Don't disappear before I, if I'm going to be called to this place before I arrive. Because I could, I mean, it was clear, it's obvious, and, and right away that she's a uniquely gifted person and somebody that I could see, you know, working with. Um, and as, you know, God's grace and providence would have it, the, the way things unfolded and, and uh, Pastor Jim, who was my associate at the time, becoming terminally ill with a brain tumor and me asking uh, Natalia well prior to her even pursuing ordination whether she would be willing to consider moving into that kind of associate pastoral role. Um, and, and as those of you who are around for that whole stretch know, she continued then and re-engaged with seminary and finished her education. But all the while, she served as Prince of Peace's one of our pastors and, um, and, and grew into that role and thrived and, and, and we, together, you know, worked closely through all of the various transitions, big transitions in, in, in staff and in approaches and, in, um, you know, through COVID, just, you know, really just always open line of, of communication and a real mutual respect for, you know, really not really wanting to hear what the other person thought about what, how we, we should proceed in some of these really difficult areas uh, of ministry and leadership. And I just, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'd say I feel proud about it, but I feel grateful that um, that's been our, our working relationship and that it continues to be such that we have been, I will say, um, uh, our posture is um, capable of, of, of taking change as it comes and, and, and uh, adjusting to it and, and just really keeping our focus on just trying to be faithful, wel welcoming people in to the reality of the, of the gospel message. Uh, and that might not be the way we did it last year, and it often is not. Um, so it's been a real rich blessing and and uh, I'm quite certain. Well, I, I, it's a we're 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 a much better church um, with Pastor Natalia on the team than we would have been otherwise. And so I'm um, I'm I'm grateful for for all of that. And I'm it's why I'm also hopeful for what is to come. And like you said here at Prince of Peace, um, we uh, we have a lot within our, our, our lay membership, a lot of really faithful, giving, generous people who give so much of their time and have such real um, capabilities. And, um, and that's reflected right on through all of our, our staff. And so it's, it's a great thing. I'm really 
uh, grateful for it and this being able to do some some of these types of kind of creative and different um, worship experiences is just an indication of that I mean there are so many indicators that you can look at of, in a congregation um, uh, for an open welcoming engaged uh, community of faith and I see them here at Prince of Peace so that's a blessing Thanks again for participating in this uh, public theology, the theology, theos, God, logos, word, discussing uh, the things of God, of our faith together. So we have engaged the word this morning so that we can go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.